1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. First Corinthians chapter 10. So where we left off in our verse by verse study together. For those that are watching online, it's like listening on radio. You get to hang on to every word and, and look at the Bible and compare scripture. It's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to gather, isn't it? Together right now in the parking lot and uh, just know it's the Lord who connects us together. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, the theme of this chapter is in light of who Jesus is and what he's done, what should be the response of our lives? Um, what should it translate into um, as we walk with him, as we fellowship with him and fellowship with one another? And so uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Therefore, Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for this special morning you've given us. And we know it's only because of you, Jesus. You've enabled us, Lord, to gather in your presence, to connect our lives to you with one another. And we open our hearts, Lord Jesus, to you this day, that you would uh, grow us, that you would minister to us. We've ministered to you in song and lifting up our voices. We trust that it's blessed you. And now we ask that you would minister to us. And so meet us right where we are at, Lord. Um, Help us to correctly divide your word and to correctly apply it in our lives that we might bring you glory. And so it's in your precious and your holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. I'm going to read verse 14 down to 22 just to catch the flow uh, of where we left off. God's word says, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Paul says, I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for for we all partake of that one bread. Paul goes on to say, observe Israel after the flesh. Check out Israel historically. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, and here's the point he's making, check this out, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And so there's a heavy warning that we, we read this morning from the Apostle Paul. God is warning us this morning in his word. And notice, draw your attention with me, please, back to verse 14. And we see the first word is therefore. And so we have to stop and ask ourselves, what is the word therefore? Therefore, well, it links us back to all that Paul's been communicating thus far. And remember, Paul has been talking about the liberties that we have as Christians, the freedoms that we have. 
those areas in Scripture that are not defined or not clearly delineated for us by God in His Word as right and wrong, but those areas of life where we have the liberty to be led by the Holy Spirit. And Paul reminded the Corinthians about how he laid down his liberties in order that other people might get saved, in order that he would uh, not be disqualified uh, in the race that we run in as Christians. And then Paul went on to say in chapter 10, he gave a history lesson at the beginning of this chapter, how ancient Israel was radically blessed. However, those radical blessings that God had given them did not translate into uh, uh, trusting in God and being in obedience to God, to his word. There were mistakes that they had made, and Paul had warned us that we can make those same mistakes as well. We're susceptible, if you will, to those same temptations that the children of Israel were susceptible to and fell into, indulging in the flesh, right? Um, Putting other things before God, um, which is idolatry, complaining and grumbling and so forth. But God has provided us a way of escape. We learned that last time. God has given us a way of escape with that temptation that comes into our lives. How glorious is that? The Lord provides for us in that arena. And so in light of all that, Paul says, here's one way of escape. He says, therefore, my beloved, and all of the exhortation, all of the words that he shares here that's communicated is because he loves these people, because he cares about them. And that should always be when we warn someone, when we, when we encourage someone, if we have to correct someone, it should always be out of a heart of love for them, for that person. And that's what Paul is saying. I love you. That's why I'm sharing this with you. And remember, the Corinthians did not love him. The Corinthians did not love Paul in return, by and large. Many of them couldn't hated his guts. And so, in any event, Paul's like, I still love you, and I'm going to communicate the truth to you. And he says, flee, run, continually, habitually, escape, reject, run away from what? Idolatry. And, you know, we read idolatry, and we typically think... Um, the worship of little statues or big statues. Listen, it is more than that. Idolatry is putting anything between you and God. It is the worship of anything other than the Lord himself, putting something ahead of him. In fact, we read in Exodus chapter 20, when God gave the commandments to uh, ancient Israel, when God gave us the Ten Commandments, he said, you shall have no, the first commandment, you shall have no other God before me. In other words, God is to be number one, not in a list of gods, but literally it means no other gods in my sight. It's just the Lord alone. And so idolatry is when you value something more than God. And what happens? All other sins flow from that. When we put other things ahead of him. Love, and Jesus said that all of the commandments, all the law, all the prophets are summed up in this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Put Him first exclusively. And that keeps us from wipeout. It brings glory to God. And maybe you're saying, well, wait a minute. I don't know if I'm worshiping idols. I don't know if I'm engaged in that. Well, listen, what do you worry about? What are you striving for? What are you saving for? What are you spending your life on? Your time, your talent, your treasures, your resources. Where is your treasure? Is your treasure here on earth or is your treasure in heaven? If something else gets in as number one, there's an open door for all these other sins to follow afterwards. And by the way, the context 
is for the Corinthians is worshiping false gods in these temples. Aphrodite, Zeus, Apollos, all these other false gods. And so Paul says in verse 15, if you're so wise, I speak to wise men, if you're so wise, decide for yourselves whether what I am saying is true or not. And he goes on to talk about when we take communion. This special cup that we take as Christians, is it not the communion, the koinonia, the fellowship, the partnership, the sharing in the blood of Jesus Christ? Of course it is. Is not the breaking of bread? Is it not the communion, the fellowship of connecting with the body of Christ? And when we take communion, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, the, we, it speaks of unity. It speaks of fellowship. It speaks of being connected with the Lord Himself. We are celebrating Jesus, and we're going to celebrate Jesus this morning as we take the cup, as we take the bread. And so the, the, the Corinthians had some issues at the communion table, by the way. And we're going to read about that uh, later in chapter 11. But one of the issues at Corinth was this. As long as you take communion, everything's okay. You can go and party at Zeus's uh, at party at Zeus's uh, temple. You can go to this banquet for Apollos. As long as you take communion, everything is a okay. And Paul's saying, no, that's not okay. In fact, he goes on. Look at verse 17. He uses two analogies for us as believers. Two analogies. Number one is a loaf of bread. He calls us a loaf, a loaf of bread. And number two. We are a human body. And the point that Paul is making is this. Not only are we connected intimately uh, to Jesus, but we are also connected intimately to one another since we all partake of that same bread, that one loaf. And in fact, that was a cultural deal. You guys remember when people ate bread together in that society, in that culture, when you shared a meal with someone, it was symbolic of uniting life together with that person. That's why people were tripped out on Jesus when he, when he went to Zacchaeus' house to have lunch or to have dinner. They're like, how could this guy go to Zacchaeus' house? How could he go share a meal? How can he unite life with Zacchaeus? But aren't you glad that he shares bread with sinners, that Jesus wants to connect with us? But he also wants us to remember we are connected to one another. Communion is commanded by Jesus. We remember Him. It's meant to be taken together. In other words, we are in this together, gang. We're a family together as one. We have Jesus in common, and what He did makes us one. And Paul uses an example from the Old Testament in chapter 18, and he says, look at Israel historically. When they would offer their sacrifices uh, at the temple... They were all partakers of the altar. In other words, Israel was one. They were unified together by the altar. And as Christians, the the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 13, we too have an altar, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ, where we come together and remember Him, what He did for us, how He gave His life a ransom for us to set us free, to give us life, to grant us hope. Well, participating in communion declares something, gang. It declares who I am. And it declares who you are. When we take communion, we're saying, I belong to Jesus. In fact, Paul will later say, when we take communion, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. 
but we're also saying something else. We're saying, I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm part of a family. All of us united by the blood and body of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul says in verse 19, what's the point I'm making? Is an idol anything? How about the meat that's offered to idols? Is that anything? And remember, Paul said late earlier in chapter 8 that an idol is nothing. And the meat is neutral. That meat doesn't bring you closer to God or take you further away from God. Rather, verse 20, here's the point he's making. This is important. Don't miss this. Those animal sacrifices that the pagans, the heathens are bringing in worship to their altars, they are offering it to who? To demons, to fallen angels, those principalities and powers of darkness. Those sacrifices are not being offered to God. Listen, when people bring their sacrificial animals to offer to idols, Paul says it's really being offered to demons. It's demons that are behind the idols. And Paul's like, I don't want you, Christians, beloved. I don't want you having fellowship to unite life, to connect with those fallen angels, those principalities and powers. That's pretty heavy this morning, isn't it, to consider? Because what was going on at those pagan temples was not as innocent as it may seem. At these pagan banquets where they would honor pagan idols, there's a union happening with those worshipers. It's a union with darkness. Again, behind the idols are demons. And there's a connection, a union happening with demons, Paul says. These demons, in other words, they take advantage of misdirected worship. And there's a distinct danger that Paul is warning Christians about. And we're being warned about. And that's a believer being connected with demons. And listen, as a Christian, I do not believe we can be demon-possessed. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. But we can certainly be oppressed and jacked up if we open our life up to darkness. In fact, the danger that we're reading of here is being deceived, is being enslaved again. And Paul is saying, listen, we're called to be wise enough to understand what's really going on behind the scenes, that there is a spiritual realm going. If we pulled back the curtain, we'd see there's a spiritual realm that's happening around us. And I would point out this morning, and this is pretty heavy, and it's a good heavy, Behind every temptation, guess what's happening? The devil is seeking to gain control over you once again. You and I have been set free, but what does the enemy want to do? He wants to to bring us back into bondage. The enemy comes to do what? The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if I am engaged, listen, if I'm engaged in idolatrous stuff, putting other things before God... There's a distinct possibility I am connecting with demons and I may not even know it. That's particularly frightening. But it's a definite frightening and warning we need to hear. Putting something ahead of God in idolatry, you may be in fellowship with demons. In other words, you're promoting the agenda of darkness. And listen, this morning, Jesus provides a way out. He provides the way of escape gloriously. 1 John 1.9, you guys know. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 28, 
we are reminded there, we are encouraged there, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. As we come to the communion table this morning, maybe the Lord is showing you, you've, put, you've been putting things ahead of him. He hasn't been number one. You haven't been worshiping him exclusively. And this morning, you need to make a reassessment, not only a reassessment and a readjustment, but to repent and get your heart and mind and life in the right direction once again. Isn't it awesome the Lord gives us second chances? He gives us another opportunity to get things aright in our walk with Him. Because how we live and what we do shows who our God is. Paul says in verse 21, look at this. He says to the Corinthians, you can't engage in both these practices. In, in taking communion at church and then going and partying at Zeus's and offering these things to idols. You cannot, these two events cannot coincide in the life of a believer. They are incompatible. In other words, he's saying you can't live in both worlds. You have a divided heart and a divided life if you're doing that. In fact, Jesus put it this way. You guys remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? Our Lord said in Matthew chapter 6, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and material things, or God and money. Idols come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. We can worship not only money and possessions, but people, things of this world, created things. And so, Paul says in verse 22, listen, are you trying to make Jesus jealous? And listen, our God is a jealous God. And some people have a problem with that, don't they? How could God be jealous? That's bad. You know what it means? It means he wants us all to himself. Is that a a problem? Think about it, husbands and wives. Don't you want your spouse all to yourself? You don't want to be sharing your spouse with someone else. You're jealous for them. You want them all to yourself. Think about our kids, correct? Our kiddos. Don't you want them all to yourself? They're your kids that God has given you to train up in the way that they should go. And Paul says in the second question in verse 22, are we stronger than Jesus? Isn't that interesting? Why does he say that? Because this can so often be a pride issue. Hey, I can do this. I can be engaged in that. I'm strong spiritually. You don't have to worry about me. I've been walking with the Lord a long time. I can handle it. And Paul's like, are you stronger than Jesus? He's saying there are spiritual forces that will take your heart from the truth. In fact, the Apostle John wrote about this in 1 John chapter 2. He had to tell the church, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, God's love finds no place in that person's heart. If you love the things of this world. Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians 6. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians 6. Paul said, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? 
Or what and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so, listen, we are all, every one of us here, Brother or sister, we're all fighting against the flow of idolatry all day, every day, coming after us, that temptation. And what does Paul say to us? He said it in verse 14, flee, run, take off. This morning, it's saying, it's saying in our hearts and in our lives, I'm going to put Jesus first. I'm going to make him number one in everything, whether it hurts my job, whether it hurts my finances, whether it hurts my friendships whether it hurts relationships, whether it hurts my portfolio financially, it doesn't matter. I will live in obedience and submission to him. I will do whatever he says if Jesus is number one in my life. Listen, if you found yourself following another God, listen, here's the deal. Repent, come clean, be cleansed. Do what God says. No more compromise. Like, remember Elijah with the prophets of Baal? You guys remember that in 1 Kings chapter 18? Elijah said to ancient Israel, he said to them, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal or Baal, follow him. And listen, either Jesus is Lord or he's not. He's everything or he's nothing. And Paul is calling the Corinthians, just as the Holy Spirit is calling us today, the church, to make Jesus number one above all things, above everything, that he would be number one exclusive in our lives. Our lives would be surrendered fully and completely to him. Well, the chapter's not over yet. Let's check it out. So what's this look like practically in our lives? Look what it says in verse 23. He goes on, Paul goes on to say, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. This is so vital this morning, gang. So Paul says, listen, you don't have the liberty. I don't have the liberty to go and partake at that, pa- that pagan banquet to Zeus. Well, the Corinthians may respond, well, what about the meat offered to the idol? You told us that meat is neutral. Are we free to, to still eat that meat, to, be in, to have that meat? And Paul's going to address that in just a moment. But he gives us, this is, this is vital, he gives us more general principles to guide our liberties. Really, they're, 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 they're general principles to do life, gang. Super practical. Jesus has set us free, and Paul helps us to learn how to handle our freedom here. And number one, he says what? Everything's lawful for me. That doesn't mean, if everything's lawful, it doesn't mean we should do everything. Correct? You're, you've been set free by Jesus. Now you can go do this or do that and be engaged. The Apostle Paul told the Galatians... He said, listen what he says here. 
He said, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so what's the danger for us? Our flesh always wants to get away with stuff. Doesn't our flesh always want to get away with stuff? There was no headlights flashing for an amen, so I'm going to take that as... All I have to say is, you guys ever see those signs with little numbers on them on the road? Sometimes they're a 35, sometimes they're a 55. And what happens? We try to get away with stuff, don't we? And what happens if you see some lights go on behind you? <gasps> it's Brother Dave. He's going to pull us over. We're toast. <laughs> right? And then the, the cop goes by you. You're like, oh, big, big sigh of relief. Our flesh tries to get away with stuff. That's just a l- l- lame example. But Paul goes on to say, not all things are helpful. Not all things are beneficial. The question is, is this thing that I'm doing, that's an that's a issue that's not clearly defined in Scripture, what I'm engaged in in my liberty, is this helpful? Is this helping me? Is this helping me in my walk? Is this helpful to others? Is it beneficial to me? And I would say, you guys ever feel rotten after doing something that you have liberty to do? Like you, you watch a movie, and maybe it is, it's, it's G or whatever, I don't know. You watch a movie, and you're like, why did I even waste my time? I don't feel better after watching that. I feel, actually, I feel rotten. What a waste of time. And so there's some things that are lawful. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Then he goes on to say, not all things build up or edify. That's what edify means. Is this thing going to build me up? Is this thing going to encourage me in my walk with the Lord, strengthen me? Is this encouraging to others? Is this bringing them up? Is this encouraging them or discouraging them? Am I lifting up or tearing down? Because it's not just for me, but look at the next verse. It's for my brothers and sisters as well. Because he says... We should be continually what? Not seeking our own, but what's best for others. And what was the Corinthians' problem? You guys know. The Corinthians' problem was what? They were self-centered. Paul, Paul said, you guys are carnal. You're still babes in Christ. You're still babies. And think about you, parents that have babies. They're total need machines, aren't they? Totally self-serving, self-absorbed. And Paul, that can happen sadly to us as Christians. And Paul's saying here, don't just think about what it does for you, but for others. Quit making it all about you. Because if it's all about you, you're being a baby, he's saying. Selfishness causes, does selfishness cause drama and problems? You guys, you know, our selfishness causes drama and problems. And if all you ever think about is just you, You'll never be satisfied. People won't want to be around you. You'll never walk in what God has for you or experience the life that God has for you. Because Jesus said life is found by what? Denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily and following Him. Look at verse 25. Practical examples for the Corinthians. As we finish up here the chapter, look what it says. Paul says, listen, he's going to say, eat, eat, don't eat. Certain examples 
of looking out for others. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscious sake. Why? For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscious sake. But if anyone says to you, hey, this was offered to idols, do not eat it. Why? For the sake of the one who told you and for the conscious sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Wow. That is some rain right there. I got a little rain hitting me, so I'm going to step back. Stay with me. There we go. So practical examples for the Corinthians where they can demonstrate their spirituality. Paul's like, listen, feel free to consume whatever meat they're selling at Zeus's marketplace. Don't ask any questions. Hey, ignorance is bliss on this. You'll have a clear conscience. You won't be tripped up. Eat that meat at home, but don't partake in that pagan banquet at Zeus's. Why? For it all belongs to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with the meat. And then notice verse 27. If an unbeliever asks you to come eat with him, what do you do? If you want to go, go. Just like Jesus. He shared meal. He shared meals. He broke bread with unbelievers. Why? To help them, to rescue them, to see them get saved. And he says, eat whatever's set before you. Scarf it down. Eat that food. Don't ask any questions so you won't be tripped up. Don't be all paranoid. Just go and eat the meat. But, verse 28, if anyone says to you, hey, that was offered to idols, don't eat it. That special meat's been offered to Zeus. Paul says, don't touch it. Why? For the sake of the one who told you. For conscience sake. In other words, the food is not the issue here. The issue is the heart of the unbeliever. You want him to know the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. And he goes on to say in verse 29, Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other, that other guy's conscience. You don't want him getting tripped up. For, and then Paul says, For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give Thanks. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's an amen from heaven. I love it. I don't like the rain hitting me, but I like the thunder giving an amen. Hey, listen, the food's not the issue. It's the heart of the unbeliever. But Paul's like, listen, wait a minute. Why is my freedom judged by someone else's conscience? Why should I not do something because someone else has a hang-up about it? I got no problem with it. The earth is the Lord's. And then Paul asks another question. And he says what? Hey, if I, by the grace of God, I'm sharing in the Lord's fullness and giving thanks, how can people are trash-talking? If I want to eat the meat from Zeus's market, there shouldn't be any issue. 
It's from the Lord. I gave thanks for it. But, and here's the issue, if it's going to cause a problem with someone else, it's not worth the aggravation. I can do it. I can eat that, but why should I cause trouble with that other person? In other words, don't give people a reason to get hung up. And he says, therefore, in light of that, what? Whatever you put in you, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you're involved in, do everything to, to the glory of God. That means to make God look good, gang. Everything we do, life comes down to this. Can I do this? Whatever I'm doing, can I do this to glorify God? Does this make God look good? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our actions, what we do, allows people to see who our God is. Let me repeat that. Our actions, what we do, allows people to see who our God is. And we can cause people to think good things about our God. We can help people to know Him. Or we can cause confusion for people. Can't we? Man, Mike, you talk about God of love. You talk about a God of love, but I'm not seeing it in your own life. And it's like, God, help us that people would be drawn to you, not distance themselves from you because of my life. Lord, use my life. I want to bring you glory and honor. Well, Paul finishes up. Check it out with me. Last couple verses. He says, give no offense. Don't trip anybody up. Either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. Why? That they may be saved. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. This is so beautiful as he finishes. Look what he says. This is so great, isn't it? He says to the, to the church, what? Don't trip up all these, any of these people. I'm not self-seeking here. I'm doing what I'm doing for other people's benefit. That other people might get saved so that they might come to know Jesus personally and be rescued by Him. I don't want to get in the way to keep people from wanting to be Christians. Listen, Paul's making an important point here. An others-focused life will keep people from getting tripped up and enable people to come to know Jesus Christ. Paul finishes in verse 1. I think it should be connected to the previous chapter. What does he say? He's saying, live as an other-centered person. Follow the pattern I've laid out. Copy the way I copy Jesus. Watch how I deal with people. Because I learned it by following Jesus' example. And what was Jesus' example? He gave His life that others might be blessed. He gave His life that others would benefit He lived to improve the quality of the lives of others. And guess what? Love was the motivation of it all. Thank you, Lord, 